We've been uh, in a series on 1 John, and this week uh, we're talking about what happens when you have a man down. Um, one of my all-time favorite movies is from 1986, James Cameron's Aliens. Um, Aliens was, uh, it was, it's a sequel to Alien 1979, and sequels are notorious for, for failing. It's very hard to make a sequel that's better than the original. Uh, but James Cameron pulled it off. And what happened was the first uh, movie was kind of like a horror survival movie about the aliens on the spaceship killing everybody. It's really gross. Um, and and how, do you, how do you top that? Well, what James Cameron did is he uh, turned the, the franchise into, he turned a movie into like a, a, a buddy soldier flick, like a, night, like a World War II uh, buddy soldier flick. And there's one, these, these space marines and they're, they're going out uh, to, to fight um, the aliens and they're going to save the colonists and they get in way over their head. Um, they don't realize it. They think it's going to be fine, going to be easy. But uh, it turns out that the, the enemy is way more cunning, way stronger, way more numerous than they expected. And, and they're, they're, they, they go to the, the den, the lair of the aliens. And um, the aliens are silent. They're crafty. And they, they begin taking um, the soldiers, the, the marines. And at first the marines don't know what's happening. But, but then you hear this scream, man down! And as soon as that happens, just total chaos. Uh, everyone starts uh, shooting, running, screaming, and, and no one knows exactly what's happening. No one knows what's going on. And that's the way it is in life, right? When you have a system, when you have something in place, um, and then something goes off the rails, it can very quickly turn into chaos. And so John's aware of that, and he's going to explain to us today what to do when that happens in our, in our church family, amongst our colleagues, amongst um, our, our families. So let's take a look at the text together. Now this is the confidence we have before God. Oh, it was. When we ask for something in keeping with his will, he listens to us. And since we know he hears us when we ask, we know that the things we have asked from him are ours. When you see your brother or sister sinning in a way that's not to death, pray and God will give them life to those whose sin is not to death. There is to death sin. I don't say you should pray about that. All disorder is sin, but not all sin is to death. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's first, first we need to get something a little bit out of the way. Clearly, John is talking about prayer, and clearly prayer is going to be the fundamental way that we address um, issues with our sinning brothers and sisters. However, let's take a little closer look at this, this part at the beginning. Um, whenever we ask for something that's keeping with God's will, then... If we're, it, it, he listens to us. And since we know he hears us when we ask, we know the things we have asked from him are ours. Well, that's very odd. Um, and, and what does it mean to be asking in keeping with God's will? Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, a lot, of, a lot of people think that God has everything planned out perfectly um, from every single detail. And what it means for us to be asking in keeping with his will is to be like figuring out what God wants to have done and then, and then asking for that. Okay? Uh, and so if you did that, then yes, of course, he would then do it because you figured out what God's going to do. You ask him for it and then he does it. Um, if you have a very high view of God's what's called sovereignty or uh, God's um, planning out of the future, then that's kind of how this sounds. But that's very odd. 
That's a really weird way of doing things. Doesn't it seem a little strange that God's waiting for us to figure out what God wants, to ask for it, and then to give it to us? That would, and, and if you go down this road and you start to do this, I mean, you're, I mean, you have to wake up in the morning and pray, Lord, I'm sensing that you want me to put my right shoe on first. And so in faith, I'm going to do that. Right? Like that's what's kind of what happens. You go all the way in on God's will, all the details. That's a very strange way for God to operate. And I don't think that that's uh, what John has in mind. Okay, and, and the reason for that, the reason for that, uh, we'll look at in a second. First, I know a lot of you have been wondering what my dad was doing from 1968 to 1972. And if you weren't wondering that, you should have been. And this is what he was doing. No, not a video. He was not flying over the ocean. Well, he was. Uh, he was flying over the ocean. He was flying over uh, the ocean in Vietnam. And he was the pilot of a KC-135 super tanker. And what that meant is that his job was to refuel other uh, planes in the air, especially the SR-71 spy plane. And so what my dad's job was in the Air Force uh, was to fly over and then to like re- extend this, this, this hook down so that the SR-71 could get more fuel so that it could then go and, and spy on the, the, the Soviet Union and, 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 uh, and Vietnam. Now, when I was growing up, my dad was my hero. He still is, but he was, it was like serious hero worship. Like, probably some of you have experienced this. If you have a decent dad, he's all right. Maybe like a Dave Bjorkman style. You, I could see that. I could see Parker, you know, idolizing. Maybe, yeah, possibly. If you have that kind of relationship, I, I was determined to figure out what my, oh, there it is. I was determined to figure out what uh, my dad wanted for my life. And I realized very quickly that there were two things that would have been acceptable. Number one, uh, I could become a professional baseball player for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He would have been very pleased with that. Second, I could have become an, a pilot for the United States Air Force to fight um, all of our foreign enemies. And so I had options, which was nice. But then as I started to grow up, I realized I wasn't really cut out to be a baseball star. And I didn't really care that much about team sports. And more, moreover, I, I just wasn't really into violence. And I didn't want to be a part of a military Not that I thought that that was wonderful. I thought it was good, but it just wasn't my path. I wanted to be a philosopher, as many of us do. And and so my dad, uh, I was was like, Dad, I'm I'm so sorry. I just don't think I'm going to make it under the Dodgers. And maybe not even any professional baseball teams. And I I just, I'm not, I don't don't really want to fly jets. I want to think for a living. Dave Bennett, God bless him, was like, well, I don't know how you're going to get paid for that, uh, but I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you. Uh, because that's, you know, you're sensing that's, where you're, that's your path, that's where you're headed. Um, you're going to have to figure out a way to monetize it. Um, but this is where your heart this is. I was like, what? What? Well, that's because my dad was a good dad. See, good dads don't plan out every part of your life for you. They don't. 
Uh, Good dads don't uh, say you have to do this or you have to do that. And if you don't, uh, you're off the track and you're no good. That's not how a good father operates. A good father looks to see the kids as they're growing up and, 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 and encourages them to go in the direction that God has for them. According to, there are things that got, that my dad would have been upset about, like if I decided to become a part of the mafia. He'd be like, no, that's not okay. That's not in keeping with who we are as Bennett's. Similarly, our father God isn't sitting out there being like, oh, you just, it has to be this, it has to be that. And if you get a little bit off the course, your life is ruined. That's not how he operates, because he's a good father. Instead, he's like, he's looking for us to just do whatever it is that we sense we're called to, that's as long as it's in keeping with his character and his nature. As long as what we're doing is in keeping with the, the, the loving God, the committed God, as long as we're doing that, then God's pleased to see the interesting and wild and, and, and exciting things that we do. And this is especially important for those of you who are young folks, younger. You know, uh, Jake, very little on the radar there in terms of a plan, which I love. Um, but sometimes young people, sometimes young people like, get really stressed out about their destiny. Right? What, what is it that I have been called? That's not how God operates. God isn't sitting there being like, oh, you have to figure out this one thing. No, what, what God's encouraging you to do is become like his son Jesus and then go out and see what happens. And so for uh, y'all young folks, um, Jake, other Jake, uh, that's, that's, take that. So this is the first thing you know she said. It's, uh, God, uh, God's will um, is, 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 there we go. Everything that is in keeping with God's character. God's will is every, everything that's in keeping with God's character. Uh, and that brings up a couple of questions. Number one, are you living, are you trying to figure out the, the perfect plan or are you living in freedom? Okay, God is a God of freedom, not a God of Okay, so live freely, seeking what God, what God has for you. Uh, number two, are you in tune with God? Do you notice that bit? So what's the, the, the secret to this is that, is that when we, we pray, there's this idea where if we're in tune with who God is and what God's character is like, and we're living in tune or, in, or simpatico with God, then we can expect that, that God is going to be faithful to answer our prayers and to be with us on the way. And so there's this, this art or rhythm of Christian living where that's what we're trying to accomplish is to be in God's will, to be in his freedom, and to know then that when we ask him for stuff, he's going to give it to us. Okay, so that's, uh, that's, that's the first bit. The second bit, we need to clear up some miscon- misconceptions about sin. Okay, and so you'll notice that uh, we've got this, this bit, this very odd kind of parenthetical bit that, that John's bringing out uh, about sin. Sometimes we're going to see people, we're going to see people sinning, but we're looking for people who are sinning in a way that's not to death, to death, to death. Okay, um, there is a to death sin, John says, you shouldn't pray about that. Not all is sin is to death. If you're familiar with our friends from the Roman Catholic Church, you may have heard of mortal sin. Um, and that, that was, uh, that, that's drawn from this passage, that tradition, that there's two types of sin, right? There's, there's venial sins. Those are sins that it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I told a white lie. And then there's sins that um, involve a whole heart of rebellion against God. Um, so the Roman Catholic Church would say that, that murder and abortion, for example, are, are, are mortal sins. And then if you don't repent, you don't confess, you're going to go to hell. 
I don't think that's the best way to read this passage. The reason for that is it's, it, there's a lot of, of, of stuff that's going on in the background. But the, the most important thing to know is that when John talks about death, when John talks about life and death, he's talking about something that's really, really fundamental. And if you're curious about this, I, I recommend that you um, purchase. There's this excellent book that came out uh, a year ago. It's called uh, One to Three John by Thomas Andrew Bennett. <laughs> And, and in it, uh, Professor Bennett, in it, Dr. Bennett, uh, walks us through uh, some of these exegetical problems, especially in 1 John 3 and then here again in 1 John 5. But I'm going to give you the bottom line. For the, also buy 10 copies for all your friends. They need to know too. Uh, what would John, he, he's concerned about something that we call rebellion. Rebellion. Okay, um, now we, we live in a culture that kind of sort of fetishizes rebellion. Um, one of our drummers, John Knox, is partially responsible for the formation of this awesome rock band uh, from the 90s, um, Rage Against the Machine. I won't do what you tell me. I won't do it. These guys are anarcho-communists. Okay, they, uh, they believe in anarchy and communism together. Um, Oh, the one that, uh, that John's best friends with is, is the guy in the white shirt wearing the One Fish, Two Fish by Dr. Seuss. That's uh, Tim Comerford. Great bassist. Uh, not as good as Josh, of course, but close. Um, the whole point of Rage Against the Machine is to have this, like, this, this attitude that the, the, current, the current order of the world is completely wrong. And it has to be smashed. Revolution. The problem is Capitalism. Capitalism is ruining the world. Before capitalism, the world was an awesome place to live where families had no medical care and starved. Uh, but curse the capitalists and curse the law. I'm tired of law. I'm tired of law and order. We have to smash it all down so we can live the way human beings were meant to be lived, to be free. You may be interested to know that, uh, that Tom Morello, the guitarist, and Zach De La Rocha, the vocalist, are both worth $30 million today. So I'm, I'm not inclined to take their communism super seriously. I um, feel like they have a little work to do. But what that's done is this very odd thing that's happened in American culture where we've actually commercialized the idea of rebellion, right? The, the, the rebellion from Star Wars. Rebellion's a good thing. We, we, we kind of play at it. We, we, you know, we, our parents don't want us to have these. My dad didn't want me to have a cartilage earring. I took it to him. I was like, I'm going to get a cartilage earring because I'm a rebel. What happens, though, is um, we, we, lose, we lose the pulse of what real rebellion looks like. Um, we, yeah, it's cute. We've got, you know, these posers, um, and they make us feel really good with their angry music. But we are blessedly removed from what happens when people actually rebel because it ends up with war, with destruction, and often what replaces the regime is something worse. And we're incredibly blessed to be in a country that really started with rebellion, but then turned into something that was better than what King George had for us. 
When John talks about life and death, when he says death, he's talking about rebels. He's talking about people who fundamentally disagree with the way that God has ordered the world. So the way that God has things set up, the idea of, of human life that God has given us, the, the way that we're supposed, the, the rebels say no. We categorically reject that. We are against that from top to bottom. And these people are out there. John knew it in the first century, and I think we're beginning to see it more and more in our own context, where we're seeing people who are absolutely fundamentally opposed to the way that God does things. In fact, we probably have a lot of them in our life. I mean, I can say that a lot of my family members are like this. They don't believe in God, but they sure hate him. Isn't that strange? Uh, John says we shouldn't pray for these people. I'm not sure what entirely to make of that. But I think that John recognizes that there's some people out there who have just committed themselves to be against God. And they're willing to do and act and live in any way to thwart who God is and God's plans. But notice what John didn't say. He said, you shouldn't pray for them. But he didn't say you can't. That's the next thing in your note sheets. John says we shouldn't pray for rebels, but that doesn't mean we can't. And I should, I should go on to say that, you know, there's, there's, I know people who have been in church and have rejected it. They've, they were believers, they were part of us, and they said no to God. And they've gone far off. I want you to be clear. I don't think those people are going to hell. God's, God's love is way stronger than their rejection of who God is. But it does mean that we kind of have to separate. And we have to have distance. Until, if and until a miracle happens and their hearts uh, change. Let's, uh, let's go back to the text. Let's, um, let's look at the, the, really the, the key, the most important part. Part. Um, yeah. When you see your brother or sister sinning, pray and God will give them life. All disorder is sin. I, I've translated disorder there. The, the Greek is adikia, and it's usually translated unrighteousness or, um, yeah, unrighteousness is typically the way it gets done. Um, but again, I, I think it's important to talk about disorder because we have to understand how John sees the way that God operates. And the way that John sees it is that God has this plan right? And God has this vision for what human life should be, what the creation should be like. And any time there's like a slight deviation, okay, a disordering of the way God wants, that's sin. Sin's not just when we say, I, I'm mad at God, so I'm going to do this. That's not sin. That is sin, sorry. Uh, but that's not the only type of sin. Sin is anything that's, key, that's, that's disordering God's plan. And that's especially true in the church. The church is beset with sin when people in the church decide to go away from the way that God's operating and begin to disorder the life of the community. And this could be in your family. This could be uh, in, at work. Anytime someone goes against the way God orders things, it creates disharmony. It creates problems. Now, our response, our reaction to that in in normal world, the way we operate, the way we think, is that we have to fix these people. We have to correct them. 
some of you parents have some, some, some children that you think are off the path. They don't obey enough. Your teen is rebellious. You have uh, someone that you work with who's just completely against the way that, that, that you know things ought to operate. What do you do with this person? Well, our natural inclination is to yell at them. Yelling is very, can be helpful, uh, especially with kids. Um, uh, you've seen this, where if you just scream loud enough, they'll finally do what you want. Or not. What do you do? What do we do when someone is off the path? What do we do? What we do, we do want to correct them, and, and we should try to police behavior, right? So if someone's, like, abusing you, you're not going to be like, I'm just going to take it. No, you need to set some boundaries, police the behavior, make sure it stops. But what can't you do? You can't change their heart. And man, that hurts. We can, we can set boundaries. <laughs> we can, um, with our kids, we can take away their technology. But what we can't do is break their hearts. And that's why John says, in order to fix people, pray. Because you're not the one who's able to give them life. Only God can do that. When someone's off the path, as long as they live in your household, you can... But you can't break their heart. But good news, John says, good news, God will give them life. If you're in tune, if you're simpatico, if you're in keeping with his will and you pray and you see your brother or sister sinning, God will give them life. Notice it doesn't say that God will um, you know, forgive them. Right? Of course God will do that. But more than that, more than that, God will make them alive again in union with you, in union with God, living the life of the church again. There's this uh, great, beautiful uh, graffiti art. Uh, Marilyn, can you go forward to, um, yeah, Banksy. It's, uh, I love this. Um, if you can't read it, it says, uh, there's always hope. And this, uh, this picture of, the, of a girl who was holding a love balloon, and the wind picks up, and so uh, she lets it go. And I think the intention behind the art is to say that, that, that by her letting that, that, that love balloon go, it's going to go and it's, it's going to redeem and, and bring love to somebody else, somebody who really needs it. That, that she's, she's okay. Notice that she's, she's, just, she's just releasing. She's not controlling. I think that's a beautiful image for how we let go into prayer for the people in our lives who are off the track, who are hurting, 
and hurting us. We set the boundaries, we do those things, yes, but, but ultimately we cry out to God and we say, God, this one's yours. Break that person's heart because I can't. So think, who in your life are you trying to control, trying to fix? Your kid, your friend. Who do you think that if you just punished harder or encouraged more that you could change? You can't. But God will give life when you pray. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, um, we give to you, we give uh, to you the people in our lives that we can't change. We entrust our hearts to you. We pray that you give them life. And God, we ask that we can be free to live in your will, not concerned with every detail, but just knowing that when we live out in your character, that you're pleased and proud of us. And God, we do pray for those who've wounded us, who are wounding themselves. Break their hearts. Give them life. In Jesus' name, amen.